You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley. I want to thank you all again for tuning in to another episode of the show. If you're new here, welcome in. We're really happy to have you here on the podcast slash YouTube channel here. Subscribe to the channel if you're here. We're not doing an actual true video episode of the podcast, but we do have a video component here. And we'll also have a matchup preview breakdown for Tennessee versus Texas, the UT versus UT matchup. So be on the lookout for that on YouTube. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. So again, thank you all for tuning in. Gene, we were talking before we hit record here. You and I haven't done a podcast in a... In a hot minute, uh, I was on vacation for the last few days, and so that's why there was nothing earlier this week. This is kind of the earliest we've been able to get back and record this week. But the last time you and I talked, it was after the Kentucky game, and I posed the question of, does this team lack leadership? Gene, I, th- I think fans can thank us for the fact that we did that podcast, and Tennessee has now gone on and won three straight games, uh, because I, I think leadership has not been an issue over the last three games. I, I don't know that you'd say that there's any one, unde- you know, one definitive leader, but I think the the defining factor for me in Tennessee's win against Vanderbilt, their win against LSU, and their win against Florida, other than the fact that two of the three of those were home games, and you could technically say the Vanderbilt game was also a home game was that there was a different level of toughness and emotional intensity from those from the team in, in those games. And I think we have Urosh and Sagai Ziegler to thank for that. And, and really, I guess you could also throw in uh, Santiago Vescovi as well. But I think Rick Barnes making the move to start Urosh and have him be, a, you know, instead of coming off the bench, having him be a guy that is immediately starting and having the attitude at the beginning of the game, I think that's helped Tennessee a lot. Um, I, I think that... You know, barring Urosh just bottoming out and not playing well, he, he did not have a good game against Florida, but he'd had really good games the previous couple, actually previous three games. He even he played pretty well against Kentucky even too. Um, but it's, unless he comes out and just you know plays really bad against Texas or maybe against Texas A and M too, I think this is a, a move that we see moving forward, a, a, maybe a permanent for us this season. I, I think starting Urosh or at least for the time being. I think it has given this team a, a different edge, Gene, because they're playing, again, with a different level of, I don't even want to say nastiness, but just a different level of, of intensity and something we haven't seen from this team in, in really the whole season, or really since maybe even you had Levante Turner on the team, of just having a dog in them and, and playing with attitude and playing with an edge and, and not just kind of backing down when an opponent swings, but actually rising up and you know taking the challenge. We have a lot more, obviously, to talk about from these games and moving forward. But, Gene, I think that was the, the thing that's really stood out to me the most is that whether it's been Ziegler, whether it's been Vescovy getting into spats with uh, Vanderbilt and, and then and again with uh, Florida as well, kind of having you know his, his attitude stuff there too and then Rush getting the technical. I, I think this team finally seems to have an attitude. And I think that having Uro start the game and having Ziegler's minutes increase over the last three or four games has, has been a huge reason why Tennessee has had a, a, an attitude adjustment 
uh, here in the last couple weeks. Yeah, and I think you have to have that. I mean, I, I think when you when you're looking, I mean, a se- basketball seasons are long, mm-hmm. and they can, and a lot of things happen. Like it's a very fluid situation to, to kind of watch exactly what's working, what's not working. And, and, I mean, I think after the Kentucky game, I think people, I mean, it was kind of quite obvious that something needed to change. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you know, Coach Barnes, Rick Barnes had said a lot in the way of, you know, expressing his frustrations with the level of John Fulkerson's play up to that point. But, I mean, not a lot. I mean, you had to kind of wonder what was going to be the adjustment. And the adjustment was to, you know, insert Eurosh in the starting lineup and, that has actually that has actually paid dividends. I mean, now I think the next adjustment for for Eurosh has to be, you know, you've got to you've got to manage that mm-hmm. because you can play with that edge all you want to, but when that edge doesn't work in your favor, then now you're just some guy out here clocking people in the back of the head or doing all this that and the other. You're, you're not actually helping your team. And, you know, last night, you know, when you have, you know, a, a Wally veteran, I guess you could call it, like John Fulkerson, you can manage Eurosh only playing nine minutes in the game. But, like, that's a guy you're going to need. And, you know, so, like, I think, the, you know, the next level for him is trying to figure that stuff out. But I think, you you, you know, you want to keep you want to keep that intensity that he's brought to the table. But you also want to make sure that if you're going to keep that intensity – that you're you're doing it in the right way, but it's been obviously that's been a positive lineup adjustment. You know, Ziegler, um, you know, and play has played really well as of late, and and it's not afraid. And and I think you've got a team of guys who are just not afraid. Like I think well, and we're going to get into it later in the podcast. But different things are going to happen in terms of you know the team's offense. I still have questions about it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, as the season goes on, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to lean on that defense, then you've got to lean on that toughness too, which means you've got to be tougher, obviously. Um, and, and so now it, it appears as though the team is starting to develop the identity with the person of the per- with the personnel of guys who can you know who can kind of do what's necessary to make sure that you know essentially this team isn't getting punked. Um, Felt like a couple times they have probably the first LSU game and mm-hmm. you know certainly the Kentucky game. I mean I don't even think Kentucky was punked. They just you know Kentucky just shot the lights out. I think too many people are making too much. I, I saw uh, a lot of Tennessee fans' favorite podcaster, um, Terrence, you know Terrence Oglesby, my guy, you know my Cleveland guy. I saw him kind of say something. I, I didn't hear I didn't hear the podcast, but I did see a headline where. He was kind of talking about after that Tennessee Kentucky game, why that performance. People are going to make too much of that performance, and it was kind of. And I didn't hear it, but I kind of felt the same way. And you and I talked about it last week. Like, look, man, they shot like what seventy-five, eighty, ninety percent from the field that game. Come on, yeah. man, like that. Um, but they they got punts against LSU, and. And sometimes games mean more to other, te- I mean, to one team than the other. And the way that they that Tennessee got beat against LSU that first time is rare that you get two times to play somebody, especially so close together. And and, and usually, like when you have two good teams, like yeah, that, that was a game that Tennessee wanted more. And you know, like you add the level, like you add the new elements to their team, you know, to the court, 
And now all of a sudden you have a, a team, you not have a group that's ready to go to battle. And quite literally, they went to battle against LSU that night. <laughs> yeah, they even said it after the, after the game, I think that um, I think it was Urush that said it, that LSU came to fight and we, we came to win a game and we did both. We won a fight and won the game, <laughs> won the game which I thought was a great quote. Ur- Urush just, I, I hope his play continues to do well. Because like you said, it, he don't, you don't want him to just be a guy out there who's rough people up and not doing anything productive. If he continues to be productive in doing that, um, he is going to turn into a fan favor. Cause I think fans have wanted him to be good. They, they've rooted for him to be good and hasn't, you know, hasn't yet delivered on that, but finally it looks like he's maybe turned a corner and, and it has found something there that he, you know, didn't have before. And if he continues to play better and do that, uh, he's going to be a fan favorite because he's going to be one of those guys that opposing teams hate, like opposing teams hated Admiral Schofield, hated, Lamonte Turner. And I don't think ever, you know, Urosh is never going to be to that level of a of a, a score or that level of a, a star or anything like that. But he's going to be a guy who could be an enforcer and be a guy again that that opposing teams just and fan bases loathe because of you know, things he does and things he says. Um, but Gene, one, one thing before we move ahead to kind of talking about the offense, and I guess this kind of goes along with the offensive discussion. I don't remember which game it was because I, I don't remember. If, if it was Dane Bradshaw or Jimmy Dykes that said it, so I don't remember if it was the LSU or the Florida game, or heck, maybe even the Vanderbilt game. Um, so I, I I don't remember who said it now, who to give credit to, but I, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. One of the color commentators in one of Tennessee's recent wins was talking about, you know, Tennessee seems to do better when they go small ball. And I agree. We, we talked about that last podcast where, or at least one of the previous podcasts where when Tennessee has one big and plays, you know, the three guards of Ziegler, Vescovy, and Chandler, then has Josiah out there or Powell out there, they seem and it has one big, whether it's, you know, Folky or whomever, that seems to be the best lineup. And I think it was, again, either Dykes or Bradshaw said that it might be smart to just kind of do that moving forward and, and play the hot hand of the post player who's playing the best. I like that in theory on paper, but Gene. Does that work? I mean, obviously, you know, we you've watched you know you and I both have watched a lot of basketball throughout the years, but you've watched more than I have and have played it at a higher level. Um, again, you coach it now at a high school level too. So I interested in your thoughts. Does that would that work moving forward? Is it is it just as simple as Tennessee playing three guards, a a, a small forward, basically a kind of a, a, you know, a small four, and then playing the hot hand at at, at five, whether it's Fulkerson or Camaw or or Roche, or heck, maybe even Huntley Hatfield. Is it that simple just to say that? Or is that just kind of a, you know, that's that's nice in theory, but that's not going to work long-term for the rest of the year? I mean, I think it's, I think they've already started doing it. I mean, when you look at just kind of how things are transpired, it's, there's not a, there's not an inside presence that scares you mm-hmm. if you're somebody playing Tennessee. Like, there's, like there's got each guy that they have that's pretty much an interior threat has something that they do well. Um, Fulkerson is pretty good in the open court. Like if you you know if, if he opens you know if he like faces the basket, Euros is good shooting that little hook over his left shoulder. Huntley Hatfield is you know figuring some things out. I, I kind of hope that eventually they get him out in the open court a little bit more, but he seems timid to like really dribble the ball a lot but I, th- I think that's I think that's a skill that will eventually be unlocked be it you know over the next 10 to 12 games or next season if he returns or wherever he ends up I mean if he transfers whatever but I think that's a skill that will be unlocked in terms of his in terms of everything he can do 
but there's not a person that, and I, and I understand that like defenses, there is a certain level of respect that will always be paid to John Fulkerson because he is a good player and he can't, he is capable of good games, kind of like the one he had last night. And obviously the one he had against Arizona, um, but, I mean, when you look, I mean, I, I didn't mention Olivier because he's a little bit different, I, I guess. He's smaller than all three of those guys in terms of height. Uh, obviously, he's bigger than Fulkerson. But, um, you know, like, I feel like he's a little bit different of a position. And I don't think they really play him at that, like, you know, quote-unquote five position very often. That's like the fifth player in the court. But I don't think it's a bad idea because, you know, like, man – Justin Powell was plus 15 in the second half yesterday. Second half alone. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's like that's what – or um, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, plus 18. I'm sorry, they won a lot to, they won a lot to the public. <laughs> that's a game – I mean, they won the second half by 15 points, and he was plus 18. And, it, and, like, I understand everybody gets all wrapped up in a bunch of stuff. Powell didn't hit it. Powell did not hit a shot in the second half. Didn't hit a shot. That's why, I mean, like, I talk to people, and I'm like, man, scoring is the least relevant skill that you have. When you play basketball, it sounds silly to say, scoring is the least important skill you have. So when I'm sitting here looking, because people can hit layups. Sometimes it's just movement. If, If somebody does all the work and the ball bounces to me, and I pick the ball up and lay it in, I didn't do anything else in the right place at the right time. But it's like all the other things that you do in the course of a game that lead to winning. It's why somebody like Grant Williams is so important. It's why Josiah Jordan James will always have a place on the court at Tennessee. Because those are people that obviously Grant <laughs> Grant's more than, you know, just, you know, some of the other stats. I mean, obviously he was an amazing player. But he did everything on the court. It was screen set. It's all these little things that they do. So now Powell has shown that he can be an intriguing option. We've seen Ziegler. We've seen Josiah. We, well, we know Josiah is going to have a place on the team. Vescovi, Kenny Chandler, that's five guards right there. So, I mean, I'm all about, like, sprinkling in, giving Olivier some minutes here and there. And then, like, kind of throwing some stuff in there, trying to figure out who's doing well between Huntley Hatfield, um, Fulkerson, and Euros. Because that's, I think that's going to be a very fluid situation the rest of the way. You know, we've all talked about, we've all questioned the post position for Tennessee this year, not because they don't have guys who may be able to get it done, but who can consistently do so. They don't have a person who's consistently done it. They've had guys who've had moments. So to see the best version of this team going forward, it's probably best that they do do that. I think I would be all for, you know, start, I'd start. I mean, I understand there's there's obviously limitations if you start um, Chandler, Ziegler, and uh, Vescovi. But, I mean, there's, you know, some defensive limitations. But, I mean, you cannot open up the floor in a way – that maybe you can't otherwise do so because you don't have some guy down there clogging up the paint. I mean, Tennessee, welcome to 2022 basketball. <laughs> like, that's essentially what – I mean, That's I mean, look at offenses across the country. I mean, remember Alabama last year? I don't remember who they played. Was it Tennessee? I don't know what in Tennessee they played. 
where the big six nine kid hit a in the SEC tournament hit a shot from like thirty feet to force overtime, and it was like a smooth shot. Like I remember he was number three, I think he was Reese, maybe. Oh, I know right. what you're talking about. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Like, yeah, light skin guy. I, I don't know who he is, but I remember like that's and that was a guy who could just flat out shoot that thing. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, like he wasn't necessarily going to do a whole bunch of just like dirty work in the post, but he was a good player. And, and you know, a lot of teams. I mean, look at I mean Florida last night. Florida fell apart when um, the Hamilton Heights kid went out the game. Jason Chitobo yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. they fell apart when he was when he wasn't able to get it done. Like that's literally where I mean, when you look at some of the stuff, when you look at some of the the things, like that's just a big body who doesn't really do a lot offensively for a team. But kind of brings up my point earlier about sometimes like the game is bigger than just who makes the shots, and then the counting stats. Those the counting stats are the easy things to figure out. Well, this person had 20 points. He had a good game. Did he? Well, this person had 10 rebounds and six assists. That guy, that guy had a good game. Mm-hmm. Or, or that guy, or somebody like Chitobo, they may not have another one of those guys. That's a big body. Like I saw, I mean, I, I saw a good portion of that game last night. I saw when that kid got hit, and my goodness, he got hit. Yeah, he did. And that's a big loss. That's what's that like six ten two seventy? I'm just guessing. I mean, I'm just throwing a number out there. Something like I'm, that. I don't yeah. Think yeah, that's a big body to be, you know, to be just knocked out. And so there's going to be times six eleven two eighty five. Yeah, I was about to pull up his his official <laughs> roster right now too. <laughs> right. So yeah. I mean, like that's an important piece to not have in a game. And like Tennessee has those important pieces where you look at a guy's production and you're like, why does that guy play? Like. Chitobo is probably the what the Josiah of Florida, where you don't realize how important they are until mm. you don't have them. Mm. And so, like, I would much rather – I mean, we talked about this in the preseason. When I think I flatly said, man, if Huntley – because we were all under the assumption, presumption that Huntley Heffel was going to play a lot. We had him just kind of pegged in as the next Eve Pons. And I remember saying in one of the podcasts, look – You've got a guy like Josiah Jordan-James that kind of does some of the same stuff that Huntley Hatfield can do. Maybe I overestimated Huntley Hatfield's skill. I don't I don't believe I did. I've seen that kid play. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, but, you know, like that's basically what you're asking now. Josiah will now be your Eve's pawns, and he's a far better, far superior ball handler. Can't jump as high. Maybe, you know, whatever. I mean, still left-handed. You know, far better ball handler. Now makes you more. Now makes you harder down the stretch when you've got four guys who can handle the ball. So I would go with those four. Maybe throw a, a, an Olivier there or, or Fulkerson. I, I would probably prefer Fulkerson as my fifth player down the stretch in games, uh, as opposed to like a Euros or whatever, because Fulkerson's a decent enough ball handler to use. But throughout the course of the game, man, I'm willing to play those other guys 25 to 30 to 35 minutes shuffle a Powell in there, you know, or maybe occasionally Victor Bailey, you need to get him in there, get two, three minutes out of Jam- uh, out of Meshack, and then figure out the post position. Like, I'd be perfectly okay with that. I don't know who said it, but it, to me, I'm all, I've talked myself into it immediately because I think that's an amazing idea that they need to do to unlock the best version of this team. 
I think it was. I really do think it was Jimmy Dykes because I think it was the the LSU game. I don't. I don't recall it being uh, Dame Bradshaw in the Vandy game, but I could be wrong. Regardless, it was one of the color guys. So I, I think you make really good points, and I, I would agree. I, I was on the side of agreeing. I just thought it would be a, a good discussion to have because because I know it can, like you say, it can cause trouble for teams that have legitimate post presence and post threats, like when Tennessee plays Kentucky again, or when Tennessee plays. Um, I'm trying to remember, there's, they have a couple other teams on the schedule still who do have legit post players, but for the most part, I, I think that is what you have to do. You're going to have times in the game where you know, Tennessee starts the game with with you know Camal or Urosh both on the on the starting five, and you're going to have times in the game where you're going to have two post players out there. But in your crunch time minutes, Tennessee, I think last night against Florida, I think at the crunch time it was basically a lot of what we just talked about. It was Vescovy, it was. Kennedy, it was Zakai, it was Josiah, and it was Fulkerson. I think, I, if I remember correctly, those are the five guys in the final, uh, mostly for the final four minutes of the the game that were out there, you know, in the pivotal time. Because it, it's one thing to start; like it's cool to get a start. People make a huge deal about it, and I, I, again, I, I do think you can credit some of the change in attitude to Rick Barnes starting Urosh. But really, to me, what's more important isn't who gets to start; it's how many minutes do you play in the game, and, and who, you know who's actually on the court and after that final media timeout, that's the more important part more, more than who's starting is who's out there when it matters most, when the game's close and it's on the line and you need to close it out or you need to come back and win. Like who, who, who's that, that five that you have in there. And that's more important than the, the starting five. But again, the starting five is important. It can provide a spark or it can set the tone or whatever. Um, but Gene, let's talk a little bit about this offense because I, I think it's worth kind of putting some context in it, but I also think, again, we, it's fair to have questions about it and it's fair to I think look at what you know what's on the the docket remaining for Tennessee uh in terms of schedule I think it was Ryan Shumpert from RTI uh, Rocky Top Insider who I've had on the podcast before he tweeted this out and it kind of raised my attention and I went and looked at it and kind of did a deeper dive too but the schedule Tennessee's faced so far this year you know aside from the Tennessee Martins ETSUs you know the, aside from the you know lower major schools a lot of the teams that Tennessee's faced this season of high major schools have been really good defensively. And in fact, they still have some really good defensive teams left on the schedule. But 10 of the 19 games that Tennessee's played in so far have featured a an opponent who's currently ranked. Well, okay, Colorado's 51st. I'm counting them. An opponent who's ranked in the top 50 of, of defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. So again, Colorado's 51st, whatever, I'm going to count them. They're, they're basically top 50. Um, but Tennessee has faced 10 of the 19 opponents have been top 50. And then you have, if you throw in other teams like North Carolina, who's ranked 61st, Alabama, who's ranked 67th and Ole Miss, who's ranked 71st. Those are also really good defenses that Tennessee's faced. That's a really high quality amount of defenses the Vols have faced. And looking at Ken Palm, when looking at the adjusted defensive efficiency for a schedule, Tennessee has, has faced the second toughest defensive schedule in the country this year. The only one that's faced a tougher one has been Kansas and it's not by a large margin in terms of the, you know, the number for the defensive efficiency and Kansas is doing pretty well. They're 17 and two. Uh, they have the, I think the number three adjusted offensive efficiency in the country. Tennessee's like 51st. I want to say or 48th maybe now uh, on offensive efficiency. So not great, but not bad either. But Gene, I think that gives a really good kind of context to maybe some of the, some of the reasons we've seen struggles from Tennessee's offense this year is they face some, really good defenses and I was also looking at the net rankings right now as we're heading into the end of January they're, they're starting to become a little more relevant Tennessee has played in eight 
currently eight quad one games this year. They're three and five. There's only 12 other teams in the country right now who have played in as many or more quad one games as the Vols, and only six of them have better records than Tennessee has in, in quad one games. The Vols are three and five. All five of Tennessee's losses have come to quad one programs and they haven't you know, so they haven't had a bad loss They've, they haven't had a quad two loss which wouldn't be bad but they haven't had a quad three or quad four loss either so gene I, again I, I i definitely still have questions about the offense even when they face you know lighter defenses coming up but i think that that to me provides some maybe some much needed context to some of the offensive struggles and again it's not to excuse any of it because there, there have been games where um even with as good as Texas Tech's defense has been, that game was kind of inexcusable for Tennessee's offense. As as good as um, Ole Miss's defense has been this year, that game was inexcusable for Tennessee's offense. So there, there's you know not to say that okay this excuses all the sins that Tennessee's offense have committed. It doesn't, but to me it provides some much needed context to why is the offense maybe not clicked as well as we thought that as possible because look at the Florida game on, on Wednesday night, the shooting efficiency numbers were actually really good for Tennessee and their, their points per play were one of the best they've had all season, but they had a, a dozen turnovers in the first half and they did a lot better job of cutting it down in the second half. And that's why you saw Tennessee score close to 50 points in the second half because they stopped turning the ball over and they were making better decisions and making better plays. And also for once, they made their free throws. They missed one free throw and they attempted 18. So they're 17 of 18. That was huge. Um, but all that to get back to the point, Gene, is is I think it, this kind of explains some of it. And I, I look ahead to the schedule. Texas is 13th. A&M is 35th. South Carolina is 31st. After that, it does lighten up a little bit. You have Mississippi State at 89. You have Missouri, who's 121. You have Georgia, who's 293. You do obviously still have Kentucky uh, and Arkansas on there and Auburn, who have really good defenses too. But it gets a little bit easier than what Tennessee's had so far, but um, Gene, this just this. I think the SEC as a whole is just a really, really good defensive league this year. I, I think on uh, I can't remember who it was Evan, Evan something. I can't remember his last name. That but he he had a, a thing where he has like by the conferences and, and the SEC has the second best defensive efficiency for by an, by an entire conference this year. So they're basically the second best defensive conference in the country, and I think it's shown. I think there's been a lot of low scoring games this year. Yeah, and I think the the issue that I have with Tennessee's offense is, and it's not really an issue. So let, let me kind of work my way through this. It, it's one of those. It's a situation when I watch them play, and I think I had this issue the past couple of years as well. There's not really a guy that scares you. Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of the stuff, a, a lot of the issues I think with the offense is the fact that. There just aren't guys that just scare you. Like when you, a lot of your better teams have at least one guy that if something breaks down, he's just going to say, I'm just going to go get it. Chandler's the closest thing to it, but I also feel like he, he, you know, there's sometimes his decision-making isn't always great. And and plus he's your point guard. And I mean, he's a good distributor of the basketball. So he's not always just going out there looking for a shot. I, I think, you know, when I watch, you know, when I watch basketball teams play, you kind of have to have a guy who can just say, "All right, clear out. I'm going for it." And Chandler does it a lot. I think one thing that I like about Chandler, and I've watched this a number of times, is my goodness, his arms are long. 
like I, I don't think I appreciate how long his arms are. But like sometimes when you see him go up for a shot, like when he makes an attack to the basket and finishes around the basket, like he's finishing around, you know, finishing around length. Guys who are like six nine, six ten, six eleven, and long. But I think like, but you're also talking about a kid who's a freshman, so mistakes are going to be made. And some of those mistakes are still being made, but not necessarily to the same extent. Then you have, you know, Ziegler, who's more of a, you know, more of a distributor of the basketball, but he's obviously just tough. You know, his toughness is probably his greatest attribute. Offensively, he's not a person who necessarily scares you. Vescovi is an amazing shooter and will shoot it, shoot that thing from anywhere. And I love that. But a lot of times, it's the ball boom. It's the ball movement that creates those opportunities. And there have been a lot of times this season where Tennessee just hadn't quite had the ball movement. And, you know, so I think that's why you saw sometimes where the offense is kind of stagnated. I mean, like, this, that's the most points. I mean, let this sink in. What's this like? What was last night the, the what, second most points that Tennessee has scored against, like, a, as, as Will Wade used to call it, a BCS opponent. <laughs> I mean, I mean. Well, no, they scored seventy nine against Kentucky. Well, they, yeah, they, I don't know. If, I don't know if I count that one though. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying like they had the eighty nine point performance against North Carolina. But when you look at some of their performances, like again, I don't care. I'm sorry, fans. I don't care what you did against UT Martin, ETSU, Tennessee Tech, Presbyterian. I don't care what you didn't you. Uh, UNC Greensboro, mm-hmm. USC. I don't. Those are, those are not games that are relevant to your ultimate goal. They're not. So I usually write those things off. I'm sorry that you know that y'all hit 27 threes in one of those games, and you think that that matters. It does not matter to me. So, I mean, they still haven't reached 80. I'm okay with that. Like their defense is so their defense is good enough that man, if you get to 78 in games. Unless it's some crazy you know, occurrence like the Kentucky game, you're going to win 90% of those games. Like, this team is settling into whatever its offensive identity is going to be, which, again, I don't think it's going to be an awful lot. I think it's going to be Kennedy Chandler making plays, Ziegler chipping in and making plays, Vescovi shooting that thing from anywhere, Josiah cleaning up some stuff. Um, you'll get a game – you'll probably get – there's probably – there may not be two, there may not be three, but there's going to be one Justin Powell like nineteen point game. I just feel that. I just feel that. Like there's going to be it. one game where he hits like five threes and has nineteen points. Watch you know, it. It'll be against yeah, Auburn. Watch. It won't I, be. I was literally, I was literally <laughs> about to say it was going to be February twenty sixth, uh-huh. and I, I think he would absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the fans would too, because of obviously the. Not, I don't want to say the hostility between Tennessee and Auburn. There's no hostility, but you know, there's no love lost there now between the fan, Tennessee's fan base and <laughs> and Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't think Auburn necessarily Auburn's fan base necessarily cares about Tennessee, but it is what it is. Um, and, and like I think they're they're going to just kind of filter in pieces. You're going to get you know, you know there may be a Huntley Hatfield game too, and I don't think the Huntley Hatfield game will be quite the same. It may be like nine ten points or something like that there's going to be a game where he kind of, you kind of look at it you know I, th- I felt like bama was a little bit of that but i thought there's a game 
you're going to get contributions from some of your other guys. But, like, when you look at some of these teams of the past, like the team from a couple years ago, you know, that was a team that it was pretty much Grant Williams every single night. Like, an offense is usually as good as its important pieces. Mm -hmm. Tennessee has never really established its important pieces. Chandler had some struggles early on. Vescovi has always been consistent. Um, I kind of, you know, I know there's been a push for this, but I kind of think that that's one of the, what, top 10, 15 players in that league. I kind of feel like that's an all-SEC caliber player because of his importance to that team. And, you know, I think it'd be good if he got it. truly don't care if he does or doesn't, but I think it'd be, I think he's deserving. Um, like that team is basically Vescovi. Like the, the legend of John Fulkerson will be kind of like some of these other guys where these guys who at all levels of sports, uh, they may conjure up one of those games ever so often, but I don't, I'm not sh- sure how, cons- you know, how often you can just expect it from guys like that from Fulkerson guys, but he's going to, he's going to be consistent in whatever he does. So I just don't think that they have a bunch of guys who really, you can just really just lean on offensively. So I don't know what their offense is going to be. I understand all the defensive efficiency numbers of the teams they've played. I understand how big, how good the teams, the defense they've played is, but when you don't have guys who are just necessarily threats offensively, that helps the defense out too. Yeah. And because I, I, think, I mean, when I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, like when you you expect the production out of Vescovi and some, you have to. If you're Barnes, you have to expect the production out of Vescovi. Um, you've got to hope for production out of everybody else. I mean, and I hate to say that, but there's not a, there's not a consistent second person that you can just expect it out of. And defenses understand that too. Yeah, no, I, I was going to bring up Vescovi because you, you made a good point. He's just been so consistent and then the fact he <laughs> against Florida goes off for 23 points where he was five of eight from three he was a perfect six of six from the free throw line I mean, he he's I said it during the game and I said that I, I would at this point with the way he's played in SEC play especially if he's not a first team all SEC player I would be surprised but regardless like you said he he is an all SEC performer because I think he is one of the top 15 probably top 10 players in the league um because he doesn't, he, he rarely has an off night. And even when he does, he usually still finds a way to do something and still get into double digits and scoring, but also contribute with assists, contribute with with this season, especially he's been able to contribute with rebounding um, more than he ever has before. And I, I think that's been kind of another big aspect. It, it was the, I want to say it was the LSU game or maybe Vanderbilt game where he missed a free throw and he dove in there and he caught, he got his own rebound off his missed free throw. And and I think it was the, one of the guys out there, Jimmy Dykes or whomever said he wouldn't have done that, you know, a year and a half ago. And I was like, no, he wouldn't have. He's learned because he's you know matured and gotten older and, you know, been coached by Rick Barnes and has played in this league long enough now to know that's what it takes to win games. And I think that that's been a big attitude adjustment for him is he's always had that score. Like you said, Gene, if you're a scorer, that's one thing, but you got to learn the other aspects of it. You got to learn the 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 toughness of it, the mentality of it, and I think that's been the biggest adjustment. Why Vescovi's kind of seemingly hit maybe another level this year is he has an attitude and mentality now that he didn't have his first year and a half on campus because obviously when he joined the team halfway through the season in his first year, came in right as conference play was starting. Um, but this this guy we've 
finally got to see him have an actual we you know I talked about it before uh, I think before the season began he, he this is his first actual real off season because again he joined the the team mid season during the year that got shut down for covid and of course had a covid off season before last year this was his first actual off season as a basketball player in the United States uh, and actually got to be with the team and got to have a, a normal off season so he that was I think huge for him was to be able to have a, a relatively normal you know, few months without basketball in between in between seasons. I think you're seeing that pay off for him big time. In, in SEC play this year, Gene, he's been phenomenal. He's he's averaging 16 and a half points, almost five rebounds a game, a little over three assists per game, uh, one and a half steals, and he's making 45 percent of his threes. Like that that is insane. And I was looking at his stats for this season. Uh, he's played in all 19 games. He scored in double figures in all but three of those games. And that was Texas Tech, ETSU, and USC Upstate. So two of them don't really matter. You didn't even score double figures. And the other one, he still put put up nine points against Texas Tech and arguably Tennessee's worst offensive performance of the season. Maybe Ole Miss, but one of those two, Tennessee's worst offensive performances of the season. Um, looking at his entire career at Tennessee, he's appeared in how many games now? 65 games He's he's played at Tennessee. He scored in double figures and 37 of them. So over half of his games at Tennessee, he's scored at least double figures. And he's dropped uh, 15 or more points in 16 of those games. So, I mean, he's just been so consistent that when he goes when he goes and scores 20 points, you're like, oh, dang. Like, it just didn't, like, it just didn't register that he had that many points. All of a sudden, he just has 20 points. You're like, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just kind of used to him being a consistent scorer. I, I think, again, he he's a guy who I would trust – with the ball in his hand for the last shot, because like you said, he doesn't lack the confidence. He's a guy who kind of like Chris Lofton would just shoot it from anywhere. And really, I, I genuinely think Santiago Escobar has been Tennessee's most consistent and best three-point shooter since Lofton. And, and the stats back me up on that. Cause I was looking at him this morning um, on Thursday morning and he's the first right now. He's on pace to be the first Tennessee player since Chris Lofton to average three made threes a game per whole season. In fact, Chris Lofton's the only Vol to ever do it. Allen Houston almost did it. He had like 2.9 something. But Lofton in all four of his years at Tennessee averaged at least three made threes per game. And right now, uh, Vescovy's averaging 3.1 per game. And that's that's he's averaging 3.6 per game in SEC play. So it's to me, it's not a stretch to even say that he's Tennessee's most consistent and best three-point shooter since Lofton because he isn't just doing it one year. He's been doing this his whole time at Tennessee so far. And I, I think... I think Chandler can be a guy, Gene, that you you were talking about. You know, who does Tennessee have on this this on offense that you trust to give the ball to and tell him to score and and you know create their own plays? Ch- Chandler can create his own plays. He just you can tell he's a freshman. There are so many times he wants to move at full speed, at, at running at a hundred miles an hour. Where I I literally during the Florida game yelled, "Slow down! You don't need to." be going and trying to every time there's a steal trying to create a fast break when there's clearly not a fast break opportunity because there's one one of the times that they got a steal and Chandler was sprinting down the court but he was already out of control when he was running and he got the ball sandwiched between two Florida defenders and went for a layup and missed it and I was like he he has done that so many times this year or turned the ball over out of that situation where I I, I applaud his aggressiveness and him wanting to do that and, you know Tennessee has been a, a much better fast break team this year than in years past but you don't always have to be running at a thousand miles an hour. You can pull back 
and find an open guy you know, for three or you're just pull back and get things situated because if you're out of control, you're not doing yourself or your team any favors by going on the fast break because you're more than likely going to miss the shot or turn the ball over. And that's been one of the big things that Rick Barnes has, has harped on with Kenny Chandler is when he made those bad passes, when he makes the bad decisions is you got to think smarter and you've got to be better. And it's time right now that it's, it's a good time to learn here in January because we're very quickly approaching February and March. Gene, I think that's, you know, Hopefully Chandler has learned some of those lessons and is, is starts to get better at that because he has a lot of potential and he can do a lot of things well. Um, but his decision-making sometimes, or kind of he'll have every so often you have a kind of a lapse in concentration. That's been his biggest downfall. He has all the skill in the world, especially for his height. He, he doesn't, he plays bigger than he is. And like you said, his, he has really long arms too, but he it's the mental side of the game that he has to get better at. And he has, he's gotten better even since the season began at some of the mental things, but there's still times where you can definitely tell he's a 18, 19 year old out there playing amongst 20, 21, 22 year olds. And you're like, okay, man, it's not going to get any easier when you get to the NBA, <laughs> you got to learn this lesson now or, or, you know, and, and learn it quickly or, you know, learn the NBA, you make some money while you're doing it too. But my point is that Vescovy is a guy I, I definitely think Tennessee can count on and is a, underrated offensive weapon in the league. And I think Chandler can be that, but he's just got to, he's got to slow it down. Sometimes he's got the speed, but he's got to know he has to have the wherewithal to switch gears. I think someone replied to me on Twitter and I think they did it perfectly. Of course, Jordan bone was a third year player when he was doing this and, and Chandler's a freshman. That's the difference between having a veteran point guard like bone who has this, who has a speed that Chandler has bone had the wherewithal and the savviness of playing a few years in the system to know when to slow it down and when to switch gears. And Chandler has that speed. I think he just thinks he can keep using it like he could in high school to beat guys. And there are plenty of fast defenders in the SEC who can make up ground a lot faster than other guys in the AAU circuit could. Yeah, and, you know, one thing to kind of circle back on that you, you were talking about earlier, it, it, it's, you know, the confidence that Vescovi's playing with. Like, I... We, we've it's something that was talked about, but when everybody was so irritated and so frustrated with guys like um, you know Josiah Jordan James and uh, who was the other who's the other guy Olivier, mm-hmm. you know going into the twenty I guess the twenty 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 one season, um, one thing that had to be brought taken consideration is. Look, man, star ranking or not, these were guys who had warts, who needed to be developed. And because of that that COVID summer, they didn't necessarily get that opportunity. So if you fast forward, look, I understand that Josiah has had his struggle shooting the ball, but he's, shooting, he's at least shooting with more confidence. He wouldn't shoot that thing two years ago. The shots he's taken, I mean, now it's just make them. You know, like, but he's shooting with the confidence that he hadn't had before. Olivier, we can talk about where he is and all this that, and the other, but who had Olivier as the full-time starter this year? Nobody. And he's earned it. You look at some of those numbers that he's had this year, he's had a good season. And he's starting to play better against quality competition, too, and not just, like, you know, stacking up great numbers against the, the upstates and Presbyterians of the world. And obviously, Vescovi, I mean, I think the biggest thing that he needed when I remember, I remember his first game against LSU when he first got there, uh, the, first, the, the thing that I 
realized that he needed more more than anything else was just a weight program. Yeah. And I think they did have some of that, obviously, in that offseason. Um, but the rest was stuff that they were just trying to figure out. And so now you look, I, I, I saw him knock, you know, he was going up for a rebound against Alabama and knocked the guy down. I'm like, wow, that's going to be swole. Strong. <laughs> you know, as I've said, I mean, and, and it's just, those are like those are the the other things, man. Like that's something that's that I've seen out of those three specifically because those are the three as that were part of that you know uh, that that expanded 2019-2020 signing class. I say expanded because Vescovi obviously didn't get there till January, right? Um, you know, but when because obviously Drew Pember and I mean look at what Drew Pember's doing at UNC Asheville wow. right yeah, now. Yeah, he's he's um, killing it. We, we haven't talked about it on the podcast, man. He is having a, a great time over at UNC Asheville. Yeah, and I mean he stunk the two times I saw him play. Well, he stunk the first time against UTC. He played really well the second, and obviously he's playing amazing basketball right now. Um, and Devontae Gaines, same thing. Mm-hmm. These are guys in their third year of of college, and they're they're having productive seasons. I mean, history will show that that was probably a decent recruiting class. Um, yeah, a couple guys had to take other steps to make that, you know, to make their dreams come true. But history, I mean, it, like now these guys having opportunities to go out there and mix it up at the levels or at the at the level that they're that they feel comfortable in. And like I, I just don't think that a guy like Josiah will ever be that guy. Like, man, he may not be the guy that fans expected or whatever you want to call it him to be that you know the expectations that come with the star ranking but I think it's going to be a guy who's a great player for four years it's just not going to necessarily show up in the scoring column but like when you look at all those all three of those guys like they've all made tremendous strides in some way shape or form um since, since you know since they got there I mean from last I mean from last year to this year and, and nobody, you know, has – I don't even know if Vescovi's necessarily done anything different. I, I'm not sure that he's even that much more of a, a better of a player. I think he's stronger. Mm-hmm. I don't think he shoots any better. I, I think that you've got – I mean, last year you had Johnson and Springer, so sometimes you didn't necessarily have the opportunities. Right. And – now, I mean, when you've got a kid, a, a, you've got two point guards out there, and Ziegler and Chandler, who are very unselfish and will get you the ball. Like I can't remember what game it was I watched. It was a game in Knoxville. Maybe it was, uh, I don't know, man. But I felt like Vescovi was wide open the whole game. I felt like every I, I've never seen a guy who's been a better shooter who has taken more wide open shots. Maybe in the history of sports. Like I just I, I can't fathom that guy getting that many wide-open looks. I mean, I, I mean, heck, i shoot 45% from three if I had those. If I had that many <laughs> wide-open looks, I mean, it, it's it's amazing, and it's a credit to the, the offense and, you know, the, the, the distribution. Maybe it was Vandy, because you know, I think it was a Vandy game. I felt like he had, like, 19. Everybody had, like, wide-open looks. Yeah, because they kept on pointing it out. And it was, like, the most simple. It was, like, one guy – penetrating and help defense and all of a sudden Vescovi's wide open. I'm like, how is this happening? Time and time again. Like that guy. Like if it was anybody else on the team, I'd be like, I mean, except for Powell, 
I'd be like, okay, I understand that, but mm-hmm. I don't understand how that guy gets that many wide open shots. But if you give him open shots, he's going to hit like 70% of his wide open looks. Yep. And he's done that. And it's, again, it's a credit to so much was made years ago of the quote unquote Rick Barnes development program. This is it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there. Like, everybody made fun of it because, you know, Devontae Gaines didn't come in and was immediately playing like, you know, Jordan Bowden or whoever they they thought he could be. Or Drew Pember wasn't out there, you know, the, the 6'9 stretch four. Like, these were freshmen. Like, development doesn't happen two months after you get there. It happens from offseason to offseason. And... Like, there's a lot of people who are looking at this team and saying, man, Vescovi's made a huge jump. Josiah, with his struggles, I mean, he's still the same player, kind of, but, I mean, he's more confident in the player he is. Olivier is a far better player than people ever expected him to be in Knoxville. Urosh, they even mentioned him. Like, that's – I mean, when you look at the, you know, the development of that roster – those four guys that have been in the program for three years, like you've seen the games, like you've seen it. And like, I think that that's going to pay dividends as, as the season goes on because people will, will, will make it a lot harder for, um, that's the rest of the way. I mean, we're about to hit the February part of the schedule. They paid tough defenses. They didn't always play great teams. <laughs> Like, Florida's decent. I understand that, you know, Florida had won three straight coming in. Florida's decent. Ole Miss is decent. I mean, when you hit February, it's no longer about being decent. You're playing good teams now. And so it's going to be really interesting when you watch just exactly how this team, you know, what happens with this team going into February. Because, good. I mean, you're playing the sort of teams that are just – I mean, you, you may score your 72 points. They'll score 85 and 90. Because, like, some of the teams have the ability to just overwhelm you. Um, I just find it interesting that the the rest of the way, technically, Kim Palm's only got them losing one game. I mean, how I yeah. mean, how amazing would it be if Tennessee finishes on a 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, on a 10-game win streak, including wins over Kentucky, um, Auburn, <laughs> 2 over Arkansas? I mean, like, that's, that would be – I mean, that would be a heck of a run. Yeah, and that's no, why no, that's why I'm not believing it because the only one he has him losing by the metrics is this game against Texas, which I I think we'll, we'll transition to talk about. It. I think could happen because it's a road game and, and Tennessee's just really struggled on the road for this year. That I have a really really hard time thinking Tennessee beats Auburn and, and beats. I mean, they can beat Kentucky. I think at home, I, I feel a little bit better about that one than I did, you know, a, a couple weeks ago when Tennessee got blown out by them. But there there's some of these road games playing at the hump against Mississippi state is never easy for any team. I don't care how good or bad you are. And then again, at Arkansas, I could see them splitting one of those because Arkansas has started to play better here as of late. But again, they've also had a little bit of an easier start to their SEC schedule. But yeah, I, I think even if you of the last, how many games there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 games remaining for Tennessee in the regular season right now, which that's kind of weird to say out loud. Um, but there's 11 games remaining. The projected record that Ken Palm has is is about 22-8 because a lot of those games are toss-ups. You have the Kentucky game, he has Tennessee winning by one. Arkansas game away, he has Tennessee winning by one. Um, he has Tennessee beating Auburn by one. So a lot of those are basically toss-up games. 
Um, I think, yeah, the Mississippi State has Tennessee's chances winning 56% against Kentucky's 52. Arkansas away is 57 and at, at Auburn's at, against Auburn at home is 53. So those are basically, you know, 50-50 games. So he has the actual projected record is 22 and 8 and 12 and 6 in conference play. That's slightly better than what I what I would project or what I what I thought maybe a couple weeks ago or heading into SEC play even because I thought if you get to that 11 and 7 mark, I think Gene, I think I remember us talking about it last podcast or a couple episodes ago. 11 and 7's been a, a top 4 seat in the SEC. I think almost I think every year but one since it expanded or since they did away with the um divisions when it expanded adding A&M and Missouri to the league. 12 and 6 is uh, to me for sure a, a top 4 seed and maybe a 3 seed or whatever it doesn't that doesn't matter as much. Right now Tennessee of course I mean we're not quite technically to the halfway mark of of the conference season. Tennessee's sitting right there at that four spot right now because you have Auburn, who at this point I'd be stunned if they don't win the league. Just like Alabama, you know, last year I would have been stunned if they didn't win the league, and they, they clearly did. Auburn's number one. Kentucky's the two seed. Arkansas and Tennessee are technically tied at, at the five and three conference mark because they haven't played each other yet. So you have those two at the three and four. And then you have AM, Mississippi State at four and three, LSU and Bama at four and four. So Tennessee's right there at that four seed, Gene. And I think it's interesting to look ahead at the, like you said, to the schedule they have, because they have some easier games, but it's still not, it's not going to be easy. And I think if you go and even again, just even lose three of your remaining 11 games and you finish the year out, uh, what that make you eight and three finishing the year out of these last 11 games and, and finishing 22 and eight and 12 and six in SEC play with a chance to, and you know, have that double buy in the SEC tournament and, and maybe get, a, get another win or two, to give you 23, 24 wins in the regular season. That's a, that's you're sniffing, depending on the teams you beat and lose to that's sniffing a four seed, like a sniffing a, a top 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. That That's a lot better than for sure. To me, a lot better than a five seed, uh, that, that dreaded five twelve upset. But I think if, if Tennessee can play themselves into a four seed, cause I don't, I don't, I don't think they'll play themselves into a three seed unless like you said, they do, live up to Ken Palm's uh, projections here. They do go out, you know, finish the season 10 and one in the last 11 games. Um, but if you play themselves into a four seed and, and hang around there and do enough on the, because they have a, they have a strong resume. They have a, one of the better, they have a top 15 resume right now um, in the country. If they keep that up and, and keep playing to kind of what the numbers say that you're capable of, then I think getting a four seed would be really strong. And that, that that's, that's, that's kind of the sweet spot for this team is a, a four, maybe a three seed to me and kind of, where I think the, the matchups could be for them to have at least a sweet 16 run. And I think that's a, I, I would take that. Cause that's, again, that's not something Tennessee's done a whole lot. I would love to see them go further, but that's something that, that this team or this program, excuse me, has done a, a decent amount here in, in the last 22 years. But as a, as a whole, this program has not done that. And this as a whole, this program has not had a whole lot of postseason success. And as we talked about uh, the last episode we did, where we talked about Rick Barnes extensively, Gene, the more shots you get, it's like the lottery. The more shots you get, the better your chances go up of, of winning, of, of getting the deeper run. The more often Tennessee can get to the NCAA tournament, the more often they're going to, the better chances they're going to have of making a deep run. And you never know what's going to happen because you can have really good teams who go get bounced in the second weekend or get, get bounced in the second round. And then you have teams, again, like that Conzo Martin team who barely snuck into the tournament, goes and wins in the play in game and then makes it to a 16 that was a, a controversial charge call away from potentially going to the Elite Eight that year. So it's just, before you get to the Texas game, you just never know, man. And, and again, Tennessee can close strong and, and 
get a really good seed or they can kind of fade a little bit and get a not as favorable matchup. But this is definitely an NCAA tournament team. It's just a matter of where the heck are they going to get seeded? Because they can, they can go anywhere from kind of a play themselves into a, a high three, maybe even a low two, to playing themselves all the way back down to a, a six, maybe even seven seed at this point, depending on how things go in the last 11 games and, 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 the, and the SEC tournament, excuse me. I'm only going to say this. I, I decided, I haven't done this in a long time, but I looked at the bracketology oh, um, yeah. that was released Tuesday. Tennessee does not want that matchup. <laughs> who's who's it have matchup they, with? I, I'm, UTC. Ooh. I, I'm, being, I'm being honest. I, I mean, I say a lot of things in jest, and I'm being funny. That is not a matchup that UTC, I mean, that Tennessee wants. And I'm, and I'm not, that's not a slip of the tongue. That is not a matchup that Tennessee. Yeah, and you're not just saying that because you cover UTC. Well, I guess technically you are saying no. that because you've seen UTC a lot. <laughs> I've seen them play every game they've got. They've got a. They've got three power five. Oh, they've got three big transfers at the post position, and obviously everybody's favorite, Silvio De Souza, <laughs> who played at Kansas, a kid, a six eleven kid who played at UCF. And a six seven six eight post player that started his career at St. Bonaventure when they were going to tournaments. They've got, and honestly, all jokes. I mean, they, they literally have a a national player of the year candidate at point guard who's like six four. Yeah, Malachi who's Smith. averaging like, oh, he, yeah, he's, he's averaging twenty one points, six rebounds, and like four assists a game. They've got the all their all time leading three point shooter. Um, they've got a kid that transferred from James Madison who scored 1,000 points in three years at James Madison, goes to UTC and doesn't even want to shoot. He just want, he just, he goes out there and has, he's like Josiah Jordan James, basically. Although he has 1,000 points on his resume already. Hmm. I mean, then they have a kid who transferred from St. Louis, and they've got another kid who transferred from South Alabama. Um, like, that's not a matchup, because that's that's a team's... And, I, and look, if take out Tennessee and put in anybody... If you're talking about four thirteens or five twelves, that is not the matchup you want because their whole team is experienced. Their whole team is like experienced guys. Like DeSouza is like one of the least experienced guys, and he's a fifth year senior. He just obviously, for reasons we all know about, hasn't played a ton of college basketball. Mm-hmm. But that, and he's a fifth year senior. They've got guys who have played. They've got like four guys who have played a hundred college basketball. Yeah, I was going to say, UTC has one of the only players in the country who, who can give John Fulkerson a run for his money in terms of games played and, and age, and that's uh, David Jean-Baptiste. David Jean-Baptiste Jean, sorry. is older than eight of the ten coaches in that league. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He has been in the league longer. Okay, I mean, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't okay. mean to say older. That, that, sounded, that sounded horrible. He's not 45 years old. No. <laughs> He has been in the league longer than eight of the ten coaches in that league, and I, I would imagine that if he was in, the, if like I mean that would be a funny stat for John Fulkerson too, mm-hmm. because uh, folk. I mean, because Jean Baptiste has been in, at UTC longer than than the head coach. Yep, and, <laughs> and, and we talked about the before. There's only been one year that Rick Barnes has been in Tennessee. He didn't have Fulkerson. That was his first year there. Every other year has been. Barnes and Folky <laughs> every year. Yeah. And so like that would be a situation for me for me when I'm like that's not the matchup you want. 
And look, and, and look, we could not be talking about Tennessee. We could not be talking about UTC. We could be talking about a Tennessee team that kind of has had some ebbs and flows this season versus an experienced mid-major who has, you know, who has just been consistently good throughout the season and has experience, has a really good guard, and uh, who can thrive in March. I mean, because those are very common, obviously. Guys who thrive, I mean, mid-major guards who thrive in March. See John Morant, see, I mean, see Tame Lillard, see Jay McC- I mean, guys at that level who just thrive on that on that stage. Yeah. So, I mean, take out that. I'm just saying for, I just happen to know more about this because of just my current job. But that is not a matchup that Tennessee would want to have. No, I would. I would. I mean, can I would they, not can want they to win it? Of course. Yeah. Right. But what, I mean, but they're going like that. If let that be the matchup in Pittsburgh, the third week of I mean, when they announced the pairings, mm-hmm. and wait till and let Tennessee fans start getting real angry because everybody, you know, all these, you know, all these ES, all these ESPN guys and all these guys, all these guys, all these talking heads. Or out here predicting, oh well, yeah, that's the matchup. I think, man, UTC is going to beat them. They've not having never seen UTC. I mean, with the fans never having seen them play, I'm just simply saying that's not a matchup that Tennessee should want to have because I think that this Tennessee team, and to you know, to bring it back, I think this Tennessee team has the opportunity to be a really good team. There's still ton of tons of questions around them, and look. I'm I'm always questioning roster construction, and this was a team that was kind of thrown together. The team that uh, the team that we're closing this podcast on Texas, some of the same stuff that I I question, you know, the roster construction. But obviously, Chris Beard is a really really good coach, yep. and sometimes you don't take things like that. I, people like myself don't take those things into consideration. Now, I mean, he's got that team 15 and five in a league that is probably a little bit better than the SEC, and. Uh, I mean, there may be, I don't know, those are probably the two best leagues in the country. I know the ACC's not there, and Big Ten feels like they're just not quite what they were. Michigan's a little bit down. Um, So, I mean, like, as we look at this matchup ahead, I mean, like, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I mean, like, their personnel, like, the guys who are contributing the most for that Texas team are are, are guys that, you know, were brought in. like they, you know, Trey Mitchell, has been a great player, which is should be of no surprise to anybody. I never question individual, you know, abilities. I question how well it would fit, and I'll be danged if it's fit pretty dang well. Yeah, Marcus Carr has been uh, probably their best player in in conference play for sure. Yeah. He, he's been a really good player yeah. for him as of late. The Minnesota transfer again. I, yeah, I'm glad we worked back to it. I've been looking forward to this one talking with you because you were definitely not as high on Texas at the beginning of the year as a lot of national pundits. And I, I, and I think you've been proven more right than, than wrong because again, they're, they're out of the top 25. Now they're still a top 15 ish team in the net and in the Ken Palm and stuff, but they statistically looking at the efficiency ratings and the shooting and the points of like that, they have an offense that is comparable to Tennessee and they have a defense that's been a, just about as, com- as comparable to Tennessee as well. The difference between the two teams basically has been kind of the, the, the pace and the tempo. Tennessee likes to get, you know, create steals and, and create turnovers and go out and run in the fast break and, and 
kind of shoot a little bit earlier in the shot clock. They don't like to do as much half-court offense this year as they have in years past. Gene, Texas is one of the slowest, most, I guess, kind of sludging, getting you in the mud type teams when it comes to tempo in the country. They have the 348th adjusted tempo on Kimbaum as opposed to Tennessee ranking um, 104th. They average 62 possessions uh, per game, and Tennessee averages about 68 and a half. So Texas, that's kind of the big difference is that Texas likes to really, really slow it down. Their average possession length on offense is 18 and a half seconds, and that is ranks that ranks 303rd in the country. So they're, they're bottom in you know, 300s basically in, in, in all the tempo categories. So they, efficiency-wise, they're, they're not bad on either side of the court, especially on defense. They have some really good um, defensive numbers. They, they, they like to force, just like Tennessee, they like to force a lot of turnovers. Uh, they, they average, I think, 16 or so per game and, and, and Big 12 play that's been a little less, but still they, they, they like to turn, to turn the ball over a lot or like to have the, you know, force their opponents to turn the ball over a lot. But it's a team that you, you just mentioned, Gene, they're made kind of a patchwork. And we talked about that a lot this offseason, but heading into the year is can that work? You look at a guy, their, their two top scorers are Timmy Allen and, as I mentioned, Marcus Carr, who are both transfers. Uh, I'm trying to find a, a for their first leading scorer who, there we go. Uh, Andrew Jones, who's the, the third on the team in scoring with 10.1 points per game. He's a he's he's the John Fulkerson of Texas. He's been there. This is his sixth year at Texas, and he's played in 121 games for them. And he's averaging again 10 points every year. He's not been hurt. He's averaged double figures in scoring um, for Texas. So they're an interesting team. They're they're not the biggest in terms of height and length. I mean, because they have some length, but they don't have anybody on the roster who's over six nine. But again, Trey Mitchell, six nine two forty. It you don't want to. That's that's a that's a athletic big who's also got some bulk to him. Uh, Dylan DeSue, Tennessee's played multiple times at Vanderbilt, six nine two twenty. Kristen Bishop is six seven two twenty. Um, they're an interesting team, Gene. I I I think this is this has the potential to be an ugly game. I don't think it'll be as ugly as the Texas Tech or Ole Miss game for Tennessee. But this is a Texas team that did just beat TCU, which again, TCU is not great this year. But they beat them 73-50. They beat Oklahoma State 56-51. And before that, they had lost a couple games against Kansas State, which is a bad loss for them, and uh, Iowa State. So there's, again, Chris Beard is a really good coach, like you said. I think this will be a game that's interesting from an emotional standpoint, too, because it's Rick Barnes' first time going back to Austin as you know not as the texas head coach as a, as a head coach of a different program and i imagine texas will have you know a bunch of their former players back there that were there under rick barnes and have a whole ceremony i don't know about ceremony to have a whole thing before the game and I, I wonder what his emotions are going to be like and i wonder what the tennessee players emotions are going to be like and i, I thought this is a good point uh that was brought up that i heard on on thursday morning from jason swain uh on the swain event you know, we've seen Tennessee do a bunch of, of you know, especially against Florida, do the gator chomp and stuff. Uh, and and Craig Barnes, you know, you know, basically let them do it, which I, I think is fun to let them do it and kind of have that be their swagger and attitude. Would he let them, uh, Gene? Do you think he lets them do the horns down to Texas if they go out and hit, drain a three and and whatnot and and or feel themselves or they win the game and they do, you know, at, after the game? Because I don't, I don't. For one, I don't think the passion's there against Texas because it's not a Florida, it's not a. Kentucky, it's not an LSU. I don't, I don't think that kind of hatred and animosity, or Vanderbilt for that matter, is there against Texas. 
so I don't, I don't think it'd be an issue, but I thought that was interesting was, you know, <laughs> if, if things go, if there's some sort of attitude in this game, does Rick Barnes get onto his team for uh, throwing the horns down? That's obviously kind of a, a little bit of a joke topic, but you know, I, I, I am very interested in this game from the emotional aspect of it as well. I don't think there's a chance that he does because Texas matters to him. Yeah, I, that's what I like, do too. I, I, these other schools don't. Mm-hmm. Like these other schools don't. Like Florida, Florida doesn't matter. I mean, you beat Kentucky, I mean, it doesn't matter. But there's a lot of years, and I understand, like you know. Everybody, there's been so many different things reported about his exit, but I don't think that it was an animus exit. I don't think that there was, I don't think there's any bad will on it. I just think that it's one of those, it happened. And so, like, I don't think there's any chance. Like, I think it's going to be a good game. I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. Uh, maybe proven wrong here. I mean, you've got a team, you know, you've got two teams that aren't exactly fast paced teams, but they're, I mean, they're solid, efficient. You know, I think what Tennessee's what, or Texas may be a little bit more efficient than uh, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, Texas a little more efficient than Tennessee has been offensively, mm-hmm. but they're also slower. <laughs> so, um, like, I, I wonder. Like, I, I don't think it's gonna be a high-scoring game. I think it'll come down to just key possessions. Uh, it's gonna be one of those games that look. You kind of need Chandler to to be calm because when you have games that come down to just key possessions a possession here a possession there then you can't waste them you can't have bad ones and like that's so when when people complain or whine or whatever they want to do about how you know how hard Barnes is is it's because I mean there's a reason for how why he's as hard as he has to be I mean as hard as he is on him because like I mean, he like that's he understands the value and the importance of just possessions. And to, I mean, Saturday's game is going to be a game of possessions because you're not going to get a ton of them. It's you know, playing Texas is almost like playing a triple option team in football. You're not going to get a ton of opportunities like you normally would. So you've got to make the best. You can't have careless mistakes that could cost you any time that you have the ball in your hand. And that goes for Ziegler. I mean, it goes for Chandler. It goes for Vescovi. Although, obviously, I don't expect him to make too many of those, like, just bad decisions. So, again, like, I think it's going to be a game. Like, I think the projection appears to be in the 60s, which may not be the most aesthetically pleasing game uh, for people, but... Look, I think it's going to be a game that you learn about this team. And, like, there have been certain games where that's kind of been um, been the case, where there, there's certain games, and it's not necessarily just the ranked teams. I learned about Tennessee against Alabama, mm-hmm. me personally. I didn't learn anything against Kentucky because uh, you chalk that up. You chalk that up. Like, there's going to be, like, two or three games you blow somebody out in a year. It's gonna be. A, it's gonna be a couple of games here where you blow somebody out. It's gonna be a couple of games where you get blown out. The way Tennessee schedule and Power Five schedules will always be kind of, you know, weighed. It's gonna be some games against some of those like you know lower major, mid major teams that are gonna be blowouts. There's gonna be a couple of league games that you know, team isn't quite as good as you are, so you expect to kind of take it, you know, take care of business of those games. Um, this is one of those games I think going in that we're going to learn about somebody on Tennessee's team. 
I have no clue who that is right now. I can't. Maybe it's somebody that we already know. I mean, we already know, you know, that about Fulkerson's stuff. We know about who he is as a player. We know that. We know that Viscovi is an extremely talented player who's going to make a lot of money wherever he wherever he ends up playing at after Tennessee. But this is going to be a game where, like, I, I think that how Chandler and Ziegler play will determine the fate of this team, more so than anybody else. People may score more. People may have more assists. But how do they control the game? How do those two guys control the game will determine who wins this game? Because if they don't control it, I mean, you're on the road. And, like, you, you've got to have good point guard play to win games on the road. That's that's a big part of it. Like, that's a big part of you you, know, you still in some wins, especially against quality teams. So I think it's going to be an interesting game, certainly an emotional game for, you know, for Rick Barnes. You know, can he – you know, can he rally the troops, I guess you could say, in a sense, to get them to go out there and be the best version of themselves. I mean, Rick Barnes can't shoot a basketball. He can't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Can't. You know, so, like, can he galvanize this team to go out there and, you know, go get a big win? Because, make no mistake about it, this will be a huge win mm-hmm. on the road. Mm-hmm. It, it really, to me, would be Tennessee's first, like, big notable true road because obviously they beat Colorado that was that was a good good road win but I don't I don't I don't count that Vanderbilt win as a for one I mean Vanderbilt's not a great team they're they're not they're a lot better than they have been but again I don't know that I count that for how many UT fans were they yes it was a road game that you had to travel to and it was a different court and different environment than Thompson Bowling but without them having students there with how many Vol fans are there I mean that didn't really feel like a, a, a road game to me and not like it not like it should so this would be like you said this would be um a marquee road victory for tennessee in in texas and in, in a pretty nice stadium that, or arena over there that they have um against a team that's gonna look to to win this one because they want to i mean joke about it all you want there i think there is something a little bit to this whole the real ut thing and i think whoever wins this game is i, I think there's going to be some motivation there especially from texas to say, hey, we are the real UT. Like, don't don't get it twisted. We're the real UT, and, and the jokes y'all make kind of annoy us. And Texas just has a an ego to them, regardless of, of what sport it is, because Texas is, I mean, it's Texas. And, and that's what I was thinking about the other day, is like, to get them to come to the SEC is going to be interesting with how big their ego is and how big the SEC, just as a general, the ego is there. Like, how how's that going to mesh and work? And we'll see, but... Texas always has this swagger and ego about them in, in any sport they play in, whether it's football, basketball, baseball. I mean, all fans know Tennessee's played them in, in baseball recently. They played them in the World Series, and they're going to play them again in the regular season this year. So, uh, yeah, I agree with Eugene. It's going to be a very, very interesting matchup. Again, I'm not expecting a high-scoring game by any means, but I think it'll be close and it'll be entertaining uh, because of that. It, a, a quick note here. I mentioned Andrew Jones of Texas earlier. I had to look him up and see how old he is and everything. Gene, this game is going to feature two of the oldest players in college basketball currently because Andrew Jones just turned 24 in December. He's born in 1997, just like John Fulkerson was born in April of 1997. So you're going to have two 24-year-olds out there on the court uh, on on Saturday night when these two teams tip off at 8 o'clock. Two guys who, again, they they are two of the oldest players currently in college basketball. I think Fulkerson, they they showed the graphic again on uh, Wednesday's game. I think he's like the fourth oldest division one basketball player and Andrew Jones I'm sure is like the fifth or sixth like he's not far behind him since 
he was born in December and, and Fulgerson was born in April of the same year. So just that, that was interesting Two two really seasoned veterans out there who, um, play different positions. Jones is a guard who's six four one ninety, uh, but they both have been around the block just as long as the other. So that that'll be, that'd be interesting. There'll be a, a weird little fact that I don't think you'll, because of COVID and everything you won't see again. And then anytime, probably anytime near, near soon of, of these two 24, 24 year old guys who are older than a lot of NBA players, um, playing at this game, but that'd be where we wrap up this episode of the show. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in. We really, really appreciate it here at Vol Basketball Fever, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on the podcast, uh, we, we can't thank you enough. Next time, Gene, it'll be, it'll not, it will not be 10 days in between episodes of when you and I record. We'll talk again, I'm sure next week after this Texas game and maybe probably depending on, I think the schedule of Tennessee, I think there's a Tuesday game. So probably after that one as well, just because it'd be a very quick turnaround to try to do another one between these, those two games. Regardless, we'll have, I'm sure plenty to talk about after whenever, whenever we get to talk again, Gene. So it's been a pleasure talking with you. Hopefully you all have enjoyed the episode. Let us know um, on Twitter. Let us know in the comments on this video. We really, really appreciate all of you. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.